about us. We do not have the power, the wisdom in ourselves to make the things happen that most need to happen. We can't do it. And we come before you in our weakness, our brokenness. We confess that we are small, but you, Lord, are big. You are big. And so we thank you that we have a defense. We have a righteousness that is not our own. And we stand in that righteousness, Lord Jesus, which is yours. That by mercy, by grace, you've clothed us in your very righteousness. We don't deserve it. We we can't earn it. What a wonderful free gift. So on this new year, Lord, we we want to, to get our bearings. We want to keep our balance. That you are our life, you are our righteousness, we need you. We don't need you any less than when we first heard about you. We need you more. So meet us, Lord. Thank you for giving us your word. Lord, we we get to listen to your word. We get to hear your heart. You come alongside us, Holy Spirit. Show us Jesus. Show us his work for us. That will be more than enough for us. Thank you. Lord, we can't make the preaching work. We can't make the hearing of the preaching work. This is a mystery. It's in your hands. And we submit ourselves to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we come to listen together uh, to your word be honored in our lives and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to add my Happy New Year to those that have already been said. Uh, Happy New Year, our very first Sunday together in the year of our Lord, 2018. So I want to invite you to kind of strap in and get ready, because there is significant change ahead for us as a church family. And it's for that reason that I've chosen to begin our preaching uh, this new year uh, from a book of the Bible that is all about transition. And I believe it will help us navigate the changes that are coming. Today we're starting a three-week mini-series of messages from a book of the Bible that, frankly, I think is read less often than almost any other. If we took a survey, I'll bet it would take the prize for the least read book of the Bible around here, finishing maybe just behind Numbers and Leviticus, right? Even the name of the book sounds a bit complicated and probably boring, Deuteronomy. That's a mouthful, Deuteronomy. And there are good reasons why Deuteronomy is not read very often. To understand why, we need to know that the first five books of the Bible form a section known as the Torah. These are the books of the law. Deuteronomy is the very last book in that section. So they are in order Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So if you read straight through from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Numbers, and you could then simply skip to the end of Deuteronomy, and you'd be at the exact same place in the narrative. The book of Numbers ends with this wandering nation of former slaves gathered on the banks of the Jordan River, 
waiting to enter the promised land. Now, if you skip to the end of Deuteronomy, you see that they haven't moved from that spot one bit. They're still there. They were there the whole book. In other words, you could skip this book entirely and not miss a beat in the action of the story. So Deuteronomy doesn't get read very often because, maybe because it's basically all words and almost no action. We like action. We like things to happen. So if you read this book at just a surface level, you might conclude that it really doesn't have very much to say that's new. But that would be a mistake. Because it turns out, did you know that Deuteronomy is Jesus' favorite book of the Bible? I know, I know, Jesus doesn't have favorites, right? Well, if he did, I think this book would be it. Not only does he quote directly from this book repeatedly, but his teachings and his life also reflect many of the themes found only in Deuteronomy. As a result, some Bible commentators have called Deuteronomy the first New Testament because it presents, an, it, it presents this innovation in Israel's theology. It presents a new approach to the old law. So with a quick survey of Deuteronomy, we can better understand the words and the ministry of Jesus himself. So to help us do that, here's a video about the book of Deuteronomy from our friends at the Bible Project that Pastor Tim mentioned last Sunday. This is going to give us an overview of Deuteronomy and to give some context for the three messages that I'm going to preach from this book of the Bible. So give your attention to the screens for the next five, six minutes. The book of Deuteronomy, the epic conclusion to the Torah, and spoiler alert, Moses is going to die. Now, in order to understand this book, we need to remember the story so far. So Israel has escaped from slavery in Egypt. Then they spend one year at Mount Sinai. This is where they made the covenant with God to obey all of these laws. Then they wander around the desert for 40 years before they make it to the Jordan River, which is right across from the land God promised them. They're ready to go in. This is where the book of Deuteronomy begins. And what this book is really is a speech. Moses gives these final words. It's like a pep talk to the new generation of Israel that's about to go into the land. And the speech, it's broken up into three large sections. So Moses begins the first part of the speech with a somber tone because he's highlighting Israel's rebellion and resistance, which has been going on for the last 40 years. And that sets up the rest of this opening section, which is Moses' challenge to this new generation to be different from their parents and to respond to God's grace with love and obedience. So he reminds them of the Ten Commandments, like the basics of the covenant, and then he gives them this very famous line. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, in Jewish tradition, this is called the Shema, because the first Hebrew word in this line is Shema Yisrael. And this became a very important prayer in Judaism, said twice a day. And it emphasizes the Israelites' exclusive commitment to their God, the one true God who loved them and who rescued them from slavery. Right, because they're about to go into a land where people are worshiping many other gods. And Moses thinks that loyalty to the Lord, their God, is the only way to life. Now, notice these key words in the Shema, listen and love. You're going to find these words all over this opening section of the speech. 
The word listen in Hebrew means more than just let sound waves come into your ears. It includes the idea of responding to what you hear. So for Israel, this means responding to God's grace by obeying the laws of the covenant. And then listen is always followed by love. Yeah, so love is the true motivation for obeying the laws. Israel won't obey without love, and they don't truly love if they don't obey. So there's this tight connection between loving and listening that runs through the entire book. And so Moses tells them that if they do listen and love, they will fulfill their original calling as the family of Abraham to show all of the nations the wisdom and justice of God and so become a blessing to them. The second big section in Deuteronomy is a large block of laws and commands. And this is where the book gets its name. Deuteronomy means a second law. And it's because many of these laws we've heard before. In fact, in the first line of the book, we're told that Moses is here explaining or clarifying the laws. So he's repeating and expanding on the laws, making them relevant to this new generation. There's laws about how Israel's to worship God, laws about their leadership structure, laws about social justice, and then some more laws about their worship. Now, after all of the laws, Moses warns Israel of the consequences of their obedience or disobedience, or in his words, the blessing or the curse. If they listen and love, they will experience blessing and abundance in the land. And if they don't, there's going to be famine and plagues, and they'll be forced off their land into exile. And that brings us to the final section of his speech. Yeah, here Moses says, I set before you today life or death, blessing or curse. So choose life. But then things get really interesting because after 40 years with these people, Moses knows they're not going to obey. And so he predicts their failure and even their future exile from the promised land. And he focuses on what he thinks is the true source of the problem, that they have hard and selfish hearts. It's as if Israel is incapable of truly loving God in a way that brings about obedience. But this problem isn't unique to Israel. Yeah, in fact, Moses, when he's using this language about blessing and curse, he's tying Israel's story all the way back to all humanity's story from Genesis 1 through 3. So Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God just like Israel and given a choice to trust and obey God like Israel. And then they rebelled and brought a curse on the land like Moses knows Israel is going to do. And so these stories, they're about Israel's hard heart, but they're actually a window into the universal human condition. But Moses doesn't give up hope entirely. That's right. He says that somehow on the other side of Israel's exile, God promises to transform their heart so that one day they truly can listen and love. In the final chapters, Joshua is appointed as the new leader of Israel. And then Moses takes the entire law code, the one he just predicted Israel would break. That's right. And he puts it into the Ark of the Covenant. And then Moses hikes up to the top of a mountain so he can see the promised land from afar. And then he dies. And that's how the Torah ends. Which is a strange place to end the story. I mean, it's right there at the climax. Will they obey the laws and live faithfully in the land or not? Well, the story does continue right into Joshua, the next book of the Bible. But this is the end of the Torah, and it's been ended here for a reason. The Torah is written for people who are either outside of the land or who are still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. And so now as each generation reads the Torah, they find themselves called to hope in what Moses hoped for, a new transformed heart that one day can truly listen and love.
So I'll be preaching one sermon from each of those three large sections of Deuteronomy. And we're going to just join the people of Israel in transition, in that waiting mode, on the edge of the Jordan River, between the wilderness and the promised land. And what we're going to see first is that Deuteronomy is the story of a people in transition. Deuteronomy is the story of a people in transition. This is really the main reason why I wanted us to start this new year with a few sermons from Deuteronomy. Uh, Rumor has it that there will be some transition here at New Life Philadelphia this year. Uh, Did I get that right? That's how I heard it. So, if Deuteronomy is the story of a people in transition from the wilderness to the promised land, then it's a book that we need as a people who are also in transition. So I'm calling this mini-series 2018 a year of transition. It will be that kind of year. And the story, uh, the title of the message today is The Hardest Part of the Journey. The Hardest Part of the Journey. At the beginning of Deuteronomy, we really see the uniqueness of this book. So let's read a few verses from the opening uh, section of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verse 1, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness beyond the Jordan. Verse 5, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord your God said to us at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Verse 8, see, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants after them. So this passage sets the framework, the context for Moses' preaching. And there are two things that stand out for us here. The first one is it says Moses began to expound the law. And and that means to explain, to interpret, to expand on it. Not simply to state it or restate it or introduce it for the first time, So Moses is not simply offering a verbatim repetition of the stories and the laws from the wilderness. He's setting out to give a creative elaboration that explains and and gives meaning to the law and what happened in the wilderness wanderings of those 40 years. So it's clear that he's doing this because many of the people of Israel weren't around for the first giving of the law. Forty years have gone by. There is a new rising generation ready to enter the promised land. The old heads are gone. It's time for the next generation to step up into a spiritual life with the Lord and into spiritual leadership of the community. Does that sound at all familiar? It's kind of where we are as a church, isn't it? Teenagers, youth, young adults, this is your time. I'm praying this will be an amazing year in which you find your feet in your walk with Jesus and in your service in the church and in the leadership that he's calling you to for the future. I'm excited about that. And perhaps uh, even more importantly, this explanation that Moses gives is tailor-made for the completely new situation in which these people now find themselves. 
And that's the second thing about this passage, their new situation. It says that Moses spoke to them in the wilderness beyond the Jordan. In fact, if you read that section, if you miss it the first time, he actually says that twice. He wants to be sure that he knows where we are. The people are now on the banks of the Jordan River. They are no longer wandering in the wilderness, but they are still in the wilderness. They have yet to enter the promised land that is now visible to them. They can see it with their own eyes across the river, but they can't go into it yet. They are forced to wait. They are forced to wait in between the wilderness and the promised land. They are in the heart of a transition. So this is a book about transitions. It's not only the story that presents a transition. Deuteronomy itself is a transitional book. It really provides a bridge in the Bible between the end of the Torah and the beginning of the books of history and prophecy. So this book uh, halts us as readers today as well as the Hebrew people back then. It forces us to stop. It forces us to stop and wait before entering the promised land. We don't really like to do that. We like action. We like movement. Let's go. This is a book that forces us to stop and wait and to listen to a lengthy, meandering sermon by an old man. I'm talking about Moses, by the way. Look, when you've lived long enough, as Moses did, as some of us have, when you have lived long enough, when you have wandered long enough, when you catch a glimpse of the land of promise, and you know it's next, you know it's just around the bend, you can see it just over the riverbank, man, when he... And you have to stop and wait and stand there. Well, that's when you realize the in-between is the hardest part of any journey. That's where they are. And the in-between is the hardest part of any journey. This transition zone is a difficult place to be because it's neither an adventure nor is it home. We like adventure and we like home. And this is neither of those. We don't like the in-between. The in-between is the hardest part of any journey where we're asked to wait, to listen, Not to really act or even to react. And I think this demands a courageous patience and a capacity to endure the unknown. While there's nothing that has to be done, nothing that has to be accomplished when we're in between, it is certainly not a place of rest. If it were, we would want to stay right there in the in-between. And God doesn't want us to stay in the in-between, but he wants us here now. So the in-between is uncomfortable. The in-between is a place of restless anticipation. Let's get on with it, right? I'm reminded of it as a child growing up, and then so did my children when they were growing up, and maybe you did too. I'm talking about road trips. Long road trips in the car. Anybody ever have some of those? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Driving across the country to visit relatives. Driving to Mexico. Driving to Canada for Christmas. Driving across the country again on a sabbatical. You know how it goes. 
about halfway through your second day of driving, you begin to ask the universal questions every kid asks on a long car ride. Are we there yet? Exactly. Are we there yet? How much longer? Are we there yet? You know, in the in-between, in these times of transition, we revisit this nearly universal childhood frustration. And we're compelled to ask God the questions, are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? I'm well acquainted with the in-between. It isn't fun, but it is a normal part of the life of faith. It is a normal part of the process of maturing spiritually as an individual, but also as a church community. We need these times of transition, the in-between. And I know that many of you are in some kind of in-between in your own lives, in your families, in your marriage, in you know, changes. And, and as a congregation, we certainly are in transition. I'm transitioning into not being your pastor anymore after April, after 35 years of having that privilege. I I don't know how to act. I don't really know what to do. I have no idea what it's going to be like. I have no idea what retirement will look like or feel like. I'll be in between this land of pastoral ministry and the land of retirement ministry. I don't know what that will look like. Shelley and I have no idea what that's going to feel like. We will be aware, we are already, that a previous era has ended, and we'll be waiting. We'll be waiting for what is to come next. So we're being invited by the Lord to wait and to listen to him and respond and love as he leads, as he opens doors. The uncertainty is uncomfortable. You are transitioning as well. You are transitioning into welcoming a new pastor. You don't know yet who that's going to be. You don't know what that is going to be like. You don't know how you're going to feel about that. You're in between. You're in between a pastor you know well, maybe too well, you might think at times, and one you don't know at all. And the uncertainty, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? I have to tell you, I'm so thankful that the elders decided to appoint a transition team to help us all navigate this transition, to help Shelley and me, to help you as a congregation, to help the next pastor and his family. So thankful for the transition team. And uh, if I, I love to embarrass people. Uh, if you are serving in any capacity on that transition team, would you mind just standing up for a minute where you are? I just want to thank you for your service. Thank you so much. So, are we there yet? (laughs) No, but it won't be much longer. In the transition, many of us may be grieving in various ways. That's okay. That's normal. Change is hard. Some things are lost and left behind. I think grief is always part of this in-between kind of transition time. 
Now, I believe strongly that there's going to be great joy and new purpose and adventure up ahead. I'm excited about that. But for many of us right now, there's also just this bittersweet time. It's a bittersweet quality to this this time of transition. So I believe that this book of Deuteronomy, a book about the in-between, provides us with some helpful guidance and suggestions for living in transition. So for the next couple weeks, I want us to live alongside the Hebrew people in between two places. Let's stand on the banks of the Jordan, and let's listen to the wisdom of that old man, Moses, as God speaks through him, as we wait and we hope for God's promises to be fulfilled in the future, in the near future, in the promised land into which he is leading us. And while we're in between, whether in our personal lives, our families, in our congregational life, I really want to invite you to ask God, are we there yet? How much longer? It's really okay to do that. It's okay to ask him, are we there yet? How much longer? That's one of the cries of his people down through the ages. How long, O Lord? How much longer? Is it now? Are we there? That's important. Because it is that kind of simple but honest prayer that opens up our hearts to God and to his plan and also offers up to him our deepest desire which God always wants to hear. He always wants to address those. So will you pour out your heart to him in this in-between time? Will you wait and listen to him in the in-between? Will you let him teach you how to listen and how to love in response? This is the hardest part of any journey because it requires a daily surrendering to Jesus to the will of God, not the will of John or the will of you, but the will of God. Surrendering to the waiting, the praying, the listening, the wondering, the trusting. But look, isn't that the very best place we could possibly be as we start a new year together following Jesus? Amen? We're coming to the Lord's Supper. It's always a great privilege when we, as a church family, get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I think it's a great way to finish our our first Sunday together.